Good morning. How are we? What a great time of worship this morning. Um, it's great to see Lervia having a go up there as well. Well done, Lervia. Beautiful. Well done. Uh, you really touched me this morning. And you know, I, I just could have gone to bits this morning and cried and blubbered down here, but I thought, I've got to come and speak to you, so I need to stop blubbering and get on with what we need to do, amen? I think there's a time and a place for it, but I thought it was great worship this morning. Thanks, guys, for all your hard work and everything you're doing, and everybody at the back that's making the morning happen. Uh, we do appreciate you. Um, so yeah, this morning I'm going to speak on Rooted. Um, there's five things we kind of came to, um, these phrases that came to me about the vision. Um, if, if you remember the vision, I'm a visual person, so the vision that I see was a river, and that river is God, it's Jesus, and it's the source of all life. And last week I talked about being Jesus-centered, and um, if we put Jesus at the center, then, um, you know, he's the source of all life, is he not? He's the, God, he's the one who resurrected from the dead, so, and he promises love and acceptance. And I said last week that actually Jesus is the center, whether we realize it or not. It's about us realizing that Jesus is the center of all things and all things were made through him. And when we know that, that he's sovereign and we rest in him, then we have rest, we have peace, we have love, we have acceptance because of who he is, not because of who we are. Does that make sense? And uh, Jesus has made a way that we can get to that love and get to that acceptance, which comes from the Father. And it's through us believing in Jesus. And I said, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So that's where our faith comes from. Today, I'm kind of going to still touch on a little bit of that, but move on to do with being rooted. And in my opinion, being rooted is about us bearing fruit. It's about us not just being saved, but actually getting established as a believer, as a disciple, as a Christian, whatever you want to call it. It's about discovering our true identity as a child of God and growing into that. Does that make sense? I think we put up there, we discover who we are, find our identity and find our freedom. And we begin, there's a fruitfulness that comes out of our lives as we establish the truth or the word of God about who we are. And last week I talked about being a child of God or being an orphan. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go online. You know, and a child of God understands that they have an inheritance. They already have it. It's coming to them. They don't earn it. An orphan doesn't have it. They have to work for it. Does that make sense? So a child of God receives the inheritance. It's given to them. They don't have to work for it or earn it. It's the grace of God. And that's what brings freedom to our hearts and liberates us. Amen. So if you weren't here listening online, I want to touch a little bit more on that because there was things from that table that I shared last week um, that I didn't finish off. I took this table from a guy called Carson Pugh um, about discovering our identity. And you know, it's important that we actually look at and we're aware ourselves of what sounds are going on in the center of our lives. So imagine this is the center of you. How aware are you about what noises are being said to you in the middle of you? I think there's a guy called Stephen Furtick who calls it a chatterbox. You can have various noises that are going on that we listen to that actually aren't true. And they can come from our past, they can come from our experiences, they can come from people, you know, lies that get implanted in our hearts that we're not good and we're no good. All of these things that go on in the center of who we are. And I want to encourage you this morning, the skill that you can develop there is what's called self-awareness. 
So you individually, God can give you his promise, God can give you his word, but how good are you at listening to what the word says and comparing it actually to what you're saying? Because if you can develop that ability to receive feedback of yourself, then that is the journey of learning to discover who you are as a child of God. It's what you're listening to, right? We listen to the word about who we are, we're made in the image, we're loved. Or do we listen to what's going on inside of us that doesn't match up to that? Is that making sense? And the ability to do that is the skill that God has given you. He's given you the freedom to choose. He's given you something called self-awareness. And how aware are you of what, what, what you're saying and does it match up to what God says about you? And that's your choice that God gives you. God has given you his word. He's given you his son. He's given you access to the throne room, giving you forgiveness of sin. He's given you all these promises, all this riches. It's your inheritance. It's available for you. But sometimes we listen to another voice that says we can't receive that because we're not good enough. Now, you've got to reestablish that thinking in your life. This is discipleship. This is the journey of discovering your identity. It's called renewing of your thinking or a renewal of your mind that changes you to see yourself as a loved child of God from an orphan that has been abandoned or doesn't feel good enough. That's the journey for us to go on. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey that you have to go on and say, I am a child of God. I believe the promise of God. And I'm coming on this journey to discover what my God has given me. I am taking my inheritance that I am allowed to take because he's given it to me. You don't earn your inheritance. That's wages. That's, that, that, that's, your, that's religion. You trying to earn what God has already done for you. That will wear you out. And we'll go into that in a minute. Peter Scarezo says this. The critical issue, the one essential. This is a guy who who planted churches, led churches, planted churches, gave everything he could into it, but burnt himself out and his marriage even failed. His wife said, I'm going to leave you if if you don't stop doing this because, and he kept saying, I'm doing it for God. And he says, you're doing it for God, but you're not actually loving your your kids and your family. He was so committed because he was trying to prove himself and find identity through the success that he did. And he even used the name of God to justify him doing it. This is a guy who fell and his marriage fell apart, yet he came back to God and he discovered a way of living. Okay, His marriage got back together and it all turned out okay in the end, but a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. He says this, the critical issue the one essential in every person's life is how we listen to the word of God. The evil one's first goal is to keep those seeds from entering our soil and striking roots. There's an evil one, is there? Yeah, because we don't see him, because we're blind and we're deceived in areas of our lives that we need to find the truth. To clear space and time to listen deeply. You want to become a child of God. If I want to grow in my identity, I'm on a journey. I need to put some time aside to actually look at what I'm listening to, what matches up with the word of God and what doesn't match up to the word of God. And I'm only going to find that by finding out what the word of God says about me and making time to do that. To clear space and time to listen deeply is a matter of life and death. Not death as in you're going to die, although it could be If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is a matter of life and death. But he's talking about life and fruitfulness that we can bear. Being fruitful 30, 60, and 100 times is simply receiving the word continually. How good's that? Oh, what must I do? No, no, no. First of all, we must receive the word of God continually. The rest is his sovereign work. Wow. 
God working in your life isn't down to you. It's adapt. The only thing that you have to do is have the ability to listen and receive the word of God and let it do its work in your life. How awesome is that? That means Jesus wants to work in your life. Jesus says, I will build my church. So Jesus wants to build you, and it comes from you listening to Jesus, spending time with Jesus, and allowing the word of God to do its work in your life. By aligning your thinking up and aligning your life up and submitting to Christ and his grace in your life will empower you to do what he wants you to do. Therefore, we have a source now from heaven that actually just isn't just from earth. Are you hearing that? And I think most of us burn out because we start doing it in our own strength and we forget that we've got a source that's greater than us. But if actually we submitted to Jesus and surrendered our lives to Jesus, we discover that the whole of heaven's resource is now available for us on earth. That's pretty amazing. But sometimes we're deceived along the way and we forget that we've got a source in heaven that equips us for life and godliness. It comes, he says, by spending time meditating on thinking on the word of God. Gives us rest, gives us peace, gives us security. That he promises my future is safe and secure because of who he is. So I'm going to share a few things from a table. Is this okay? So we're talking about discipleship, fruitfulness. We'll touch on that in a minute. But I just want to go back to some things that can be at the center of our lives as a child or as an orphan. So your theology, what you think of God, how you see God, but actually more than that, how that then outworks on how you live your life is your theology. And is an orphan, an orphan thinks... Right? They love, they love the Word. Now you think, oh, I should love the Word. An orphan loves the Word, but this is the difference. I'm not saying we don't love the Word. We should love the Word. But an orphan lives by the law, love of law, Word. This is what I need to do. Does that make sense? But a child of God doesn't live like that. A child of God lives by the law of love. Wow, I'm loved. Well, what must I do? No, you're loved. Yeah, but must, what must I do? What's, what, what is it you want me to do? Just love God and love people. It's love is the answer. It's liberating. Well, what must I do to become a child of God? You don't need to do anything. You just need to receive your inheritance that your father's already made you a child of God. It's liberating. So it often lives by the loves the law. Loves to want to get it right. What's right, what's wrong. And I'm not saying we don't do that. But if the foundation isn't right at the center, then we'll wear ourselves out. A child of God lives by the law of love. I just loved and I want to love and I'm liberated by the one who is love. What's your motivation as a Christian to live a disciplined life? Maybe you're like an orphan that sometimes thinks, well, I've got to do it because I'm a Christian. (laughs) We've all done that. We've all turned up. I've got to go because I'm a Christian and I should do it. And if I do that, then I'll get God's favor because I go to church. If I don't do what's right, then I won't have God's favor. If I don't do read my Bible, then I won't have God's favor. And I know we should read a Bible and we should do those things. And that's right to find out what the truth says. But foundationally at the center of our lives, what it should be is a pleasure and delight to do the things that I want to do. It's not a duty. If it's a duty, then we've got a wrong understanding of what God has done for us. We've not yet grasped what God has done. God didn't save you because it was his duty. I better go down and rescue them. 
I forgot my job description that I was giving when I created the world. And on that job description was to save these people. No, he simply loves you. He does it because you're his delight and his pleasure. I remember coming for a prayer meeting about 10 years ago. I was driving down the road. We used to meet every Sunday at 6 o'clock. And if I'm honest, it became a little bit like a duty and something I had to do. And I like lost my way a little bit along the way. Still committed. God knows your heart. He sees you. And as I'm driving down, I thought, you know what? I just don't want to come this morning. Just don't want to come. And then this phrase came to me. I'm not saying it's God or it's me, but I'll just give you the phrase that came to me. And it said this, you don't have to go. Well, that was liberating within itself, the environment I was in at the time. But then it said this, but I'd love you to spend time with me. See what I'm saying? It's not, it's not to live by the law. It's, a, it's the law of love. I don't need to spend time. I don't have to spend time with God. I want to spend time with God because he's, he's first loved me. And it's a delight to actually spend time with God. And it's a pleasure to spend time with God. Therefore, it's a pleasure for me to discipline myself because I want to live a life that bears fruit for him because he first loved me. Can you see the difference? And as a child of God, we need to be aware that actually we don't get into a duty, but it's a relationship because he first loved us. And sometimes this can creep in our lives because we get tired, we, 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 we're fed up with things or we take offense or didn't work out the way I, there's a misunderstanding all in this mix and all of a sudden it becomes a duty to come to church. And I'm not saying we don't push through some things and some doubts and insecurities, I think that's, that's developing our character, but actually at the center of our heart needs to be a love for Jesus because he first loved us. Pleasure and delight. What's your motive for living a pure life? Some of you might think, I don't need to live a pure life now because Jesus has paid for my life and I'm made holy and I don't need to be pure. Well, a child of God thinks differently than an orphan. An orphan says, I must be holy to have God's favor. How many of us have lived like this? I know I can. I can dip into this. I've got to be holy. I've got to do what's right and I've got to do these things. And that's right. But if we don't live holy and we trip up, what happens? We feel the guilt and the shame because we haven't lived the way we think God wants us to live. And we get into this cycle of trying to please God and get his favor by living a pure life. A child of God doesn't live like that, though. A child of God wants to because they understand the holiness of God and they understand his love and his pure love for them. Therefore, they want to have a pure heart, not manipulate or control or make people look stupid. No, I want a pure heart that loves because God has loved me. It's more liberating. So when we get it wrong, we understand, actually, my motive is to love and I've got it wrong. I'll admit I'm wrong, but my motive is love. I don't have to. I do it because I am loved. Do you see what I'm saying? See the difference? And then a Go on to the next one. Motive for service. Maybe some of you just don't want serve at all. Maybe there's no motivation at all. Can't be bothered. Can't be. Nearly used a word I maybe shouldn't use in church. There's no motivation because you've not fully understood the inheritance of how blessed you are and how much you can give and what a blessing you are and how much you have to give to the body and how much you have to give to your community, your home. And sometimes we can dip into this. See, the motive for service can be a need for approval sorry, personal achievements as you seek to impress God and others or just no motivation. That's an orphan. That's how an orphan lives. This is giving me personal achievement where a child of God is deeply motivated 
by deep gratitude for being unconditionally loved. How liberating is that? We are unconditionally loved by God and accepted by God. What is going on in the inside of here is key for us to be aware. As the word of God penetrated our hearts, so we are liberated by the unconditional love of God. Therefore, our motivation is simply deep gratitude because what God has done for us. Or do we dip into trying to personal achievement or impress others or you just can't be bothered at all? I've had moments where I've been through all of these and I can still go in all of these because I can keep my eyes on people. I said last week, the love of man or people, we can look for it to get our approval. So I'm not saying I'm over here. I'm saying I'm on a journey and I just need to be aware of this. Who do I live like? I want to live like this, but sometimes I dip into that. Does this make sense? Is this, are you still with me? Are you still, is this making sense? Understand? Is it helpful? Are you a child of God? Amen. So let's go on to a few more. I think I've got a few more. How do we handle people's faults? <laughs> Not very well <laughs> at times, if we're honest. We're on a journey of learning, and uh, we're trying to get it right. So here are a few, yeah? So how do we handle people's faults? Accusation, exposure. This is an orphan. In order to make yourself look good by making others look bad. How many of us do that? I've done it, I'll admit. My insecurity leads me to do that and I defend myself and, you know, I I don't want to be exposed as being wrong, so I'll blame somebody else. I'll shift the blame like Adam did in the beginning. He blamed Eve. He said, oh, she made me do it. That's shifting blame and responsibility in life rather than accepting, yes, it's made me feel this way, but actually, I'm going to do something different. A child of God, love covers as you seek to restore others in a spirit of love and gentleness. We're on a journey, guys. I'm not saying I can get this, but this should be how, as a child of God, we try and live. We cover people's sins rather than actually exposing them. And there's a time to deal with wrong behavior, and we'll go on to that in a minute. So if we go on to the next one, view of admonition, right? Is that how you say it? Admonition. Sorry, admonition. Is that how we say it? I thought, what does that word use? I don't usually use that. And I know it means rebuke or correction, okay? So here's, here's, here's the difference between an orphan and a child. Right, an orphan, difficulty receiving its admonition. Got it right, yeah? You must be right so easily get your feelings hurt and close your spirit to discipline. That's an orphan. Why? Because an orphan doesn't feel right They don't know that they have the inheritance of God and they don't know they're loved. So they're scared of rejection or fear not being good enough. So they're scared of being disciplined. They're defensive. The change doesn't come. But with a child of God, they see the receiving of admonition as a blessing, a need in your life so that your faults and weaknesses are exposed and put to death. How good are you at receiving correction? Oh, you're still my friend. So, so we're looking at remain, right, and being rooted. And I just thought I'd try this on, try and correct some of us this morning. Is that okay? I'll try a rebuke, a gentle rebuke on you this morning. Is this okay? Let's see how you respond to it. See if you respond like an orphan or see if you respond like a child of God. Are you ready? So, so 
and I'm guilty of this, I'm challenging myself as well. How good are you, how's your faithfulness, faithfulness this morning, and how good are you at being on time? How good are you at turning up for church every week? I'm talking to children of God, right? <laughs> Come on, we're on a journey, right? How good are you? Because here's the deal, right? If you turn up, say, at 25 past 11, is that loving people? Are you still my friend? Because we've got children's workers who are buzzing around, trying to organize, trying to pull volunteers, and they've just got it right, and you turn up at 25 past 11 with your kids. Now they've got to run around and find somebody else. Are you still my friend? I'm trying, I'm trying to bring you from this to this so that you can grow, so we can expose your weaknesses and put some things to death in your life. Are you with me? I'm doing it gentle, aren't I? Am I doing it gently? Am I doing it gently? I'm trying my best. I could rant at you, but I'm trying to be gentle with you and say, come on, we should be on time. Why? Because Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't value the kids' workers, you'll just rack up when you want. But if you value them and truly love them, you'll turn up on time because you'll understand what they've done and what they're putting in place beforehand. That's love. And the band. How much work have they put in beforehand? How much of the welcome team put in? How much of the tech guys put in? How much is going on behind the scenes that we don't even have a clue about? Yet we just rack up when we want. See, think about it. How do I value the worship leader? I turn up halfway through one of their songs and say, my time's more important than yours. Are you still with me? Are you still my friend? But because I love them, I'm going to turn up and support them and say, I'm here because I love you and I value what you're doing. I'm just gently correcting you this morning. Is that okay? How are you responding? Is it exposing your weaknesses or are you getting offended this morning to the spirit of discipline? You see, if you turned up late for work, what would happen? But work's different. Why is it? If you're living holistic and living out of your integrity of who you are, why should I turn up late for work and, and, and late for church but not late for work? Because I'm living like a, an orphan who lives for the master, not for the heavenly father who loves me. See the difference? I'm doing it out of fear of man. Well, I've got to be at work because if I don't be at work, I'll get sacked. I won't have money. Therefore, watch your master? God himself or money. We're having a little bit of correction this morning. We're trying to take you a bit deeper. Are you still my friends? Are you sure? There might be no one in church next week. <laughs> but here's the deal. We'll have some people who are committed to Jesus. Woo! I'm a disciple of God. Am I committed to this cause or not? It's about character, substance, responsibility in life. Commitment, devotion, dedication, all these words that are okay to talk about, but I don't need to outwork because Jesus died for me, I love me, and I'm saved. No, salvation bears fruit. That's what salvation does because what God has done for you. Remember, go back to the things I've said. You do this because you're loved and it's delight to turn up for church. We can all get in the duty thing and get things in the wrong place because we get tired and fed up, but you've got to go back to the thing that matters, which is Jesus. So that's my correction. Was that okay? If you don't turn up for church next week, it's okay if you've got something on. 
right? It's, it's okay if the kids are going mad. Sarah's looking at me like, what are you doing this morning? It, it, it's okay if the kids are having a problem and you're late for church. We're not condemning you. We're just trying to cultivate a different culture. It's called kingdom culture in your life. That Jesus is first. First love. I'm passionate about Jesus and loving people. But don't turn up late for the worship. It's true though, isn't it? It is true. Do I value the worship leader? Or is my time more important than the worship leader? Oh, we're all right when we're talking about things we liked. Now, that, now you're challenging me and disciplining me. I don't like that. I don't like a rebuke. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like correction. Well, if you, if you enjoy correction, you'll, actually, you'll find out that it's good for you. And it's beneficial because you'll grow and bear fruit. Because you've been corrected by a loving father that says, I want the best for my children and I will correct them because I love them. Still my friend. Good. Shall we move on? Source of comfort. He's a good one. This will challenge you even more. What's your sort of comfort, sort of, source of comfort as a child of God or an orphan? What does an orphan do? Seeks comfort in counterfeit affections. Addictions, compulsions, escapism. Busyness. Keep busy, 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 busy. I don't have to think. I don't have to think about my self-awareness because I'm keeping busy, 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 busy. Busy, busy. Or hyper-religious activity. I keep doing, I keep going, I keep doing all this stuff and I don't have to stop and think about myself and if I'm loved because I'm doing all this stuff and this makes me good. Hyper-religious activity doesn't, you've got no time to stop. What does a child of God do? It seeks it in quietness and solitude and to rest in the Father's presence and love. Wow. That's where we find our comfort, in his presence and in his love. Don't need anything else. Just need the comfort of the one who's died for me. I don't need anything else. But I'll be honest, we all dip back into an orphan. We all run into this world to find it. And we realize it isn't quite working. So we leave church for a bit and try and find it. Then we come back and then we doesn't work. And then we go back again because we're not getting what we wanted here because we don't want to be corrected. So we go again and we, 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 we're like that. Some of us, we cycle in and out trying to look for the comfort. But I'd encourage you to come to God. And there's no condemnation. I'm not condemning you if you're going around that cycle. I just know that God wants more for you than that cycle. And we've all been around that cycle and we all can go around that cycle still. And the last one of this, sense of God's presence. If I say God's presence in your life, what do you think of him? Do you think of him as conditional and distant? So you have to do things to get the Father's love. And is he a distant God on a throne up high that is not close to you? Or do you sense the presence of God in your life? Is it close and is it intimate? But you see, if we're running for our comfort over here, then we're going to struggle to actually experience his presence. Still not my friend this morning, are you? We like last week, Jesus has done it all, but this week when we need to get some roots sorted out, we're not my friend this morning. And that's okay, because I still love you. And I'm on this journey as well. At times, I don't always sense that God's presence is close to me because I get my thinking wrong. I listen to things, I look for comfort. So we're all on a journey to do this. Is that okay? I've got 12 minutes to finish. Are we ready? Let's read a scripture, and then I'm going to finish with... A brief couple of thoughts to help us become rooted. The scripture comes from John 15, well-known scripture. It says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He, he cuts off every branch in me. 
that means your lateness, that does not bear fruit. (laughs) While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I love what Jesus says here. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So it's not about what you do. It's about your ability to receive Jesus, the word of God, that makes you right with the Father. And if we don't get that right here, then we start to wear out. Then he says this, remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. You can see Jesus explaining this as people are doing this in their culture, right? He's using it as an illustration. He's actually talking about Jewish people that have been given the word of God but done nothing with it, okay? We're the other side of this where we can receive as a Gentile, we can receive now the promises of God and be made right with God. If you remain in me and my words, there you go, remain in you. If my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other, worship leaders, kids, workers, everybody else, even your neighbors and your enemies. I'll add that in there. Greater lovers know not one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends, worship leaders, kids, workers. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I like this. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Children of God. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's liberating, guys. I don't choose Jesus. Jesus first chose me. I can respond to Jesus' choice on my life, but actually Jesus chooses me. I don't choose him. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Don't you just love Jesus? A few things before we go. To help us remain rooted. The first one is this. Remain in the promise. Not in what you do, remain in the promise. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, remind yourself you are made clean, not by what you do, but by the one who promises to make you clean. That's, that's, that should liberate your heart that actually I don't earn this. Jesus has chosen me. Jesus has made me clean. Now the gospel is penetrating my heart and freeing me and liberating me to be who I am in Christ. 
remain in the promise. It says, if you remain, in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. The word needs to remain in you. You need to hear the word, hold on to the word, commit to the word, apply the word, let Father teach you and train you, let him, let him, let him love you and cherish you, see that he has delight in you, let that wash in you and through you so that you can discover you're a child of God. It's not what you do, it's the promise that he offers from the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. The second point is this, remain in love. How in love are you this morning with Jesus? You know, sometimes we can fall in love and then things can fade away because it, you know, it doesn't happen the way we want or we have an idea of what we think love is because we think love is a feeling and we think it's, you know, it's about us getting what we want. And as as you go along the journey, you realize that isn't love. And you realize that love is about commitment and putting others first. And it's hard work, love is. But we have a choice. What do we do? Do we remain in love? Do I remain committed to the one who loved me? And do I remain in love? Jesus says, remain in me and I also remain in you. Jesus is remaining in you because he loves you. Can I encourage you? Keep falling in love with Jesus. His words, his actions, his life. Follow what he teaches, what he says. Don't listen to what everybody else says unless it's wise and it lines up with the word of God. Find out for yourself what Jesus says about you. Find out what Jesus says about your enemy. Find out how Jesus says to deal with things. And as you apply those teachings in your life, what you'll do is you'll find that you love like Jesus loved. And Christ in you is growing and maturing so that you become like Christ. You're rooting and grounding yourself in the word of God. Be committed to his teachings And make sure your actions begin to follow your words. Remain in love. Keep loving Jesus. Anybody in love with Jesus this morning? Come on, keep loving Jesus. Keep singing to him. Keep worshiping him. Keep keep, keep reading the scriptures about him. Keep loving Jesus. And the third thing is this. Is learn to grow in faithfulness. I don't know about you, but um, sometimes I'll say some things and not do them. And I think, oh, I said that when I didn't do it. Is anybody like that? And then I beat myself up. And I think, no, 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 God's not beating me up. I don't need to beat myself up. I need to actually learn to get better at doing what I say I was going to do. You know, and that's a journey for all of us. And God promises this in the scripture. You know, if you're faithful with small, I'll give you more. Oh, well, I won't be faithful. I don't want any more, right? Do I really want more? Because if I want more, you know, I, as, I, as I grow in faithfulness, God's going to go, right, you've been faithful with that. He's even more now because I know you're faithful. How faithful are you with what God has given you? Are you in love and are, are you loving what God has given you? Or are you moaning and complaining about your job, your career, your family, this? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying we don't have bad times. But what I encourage you is this. At the center of here, Worship Jesus and love what God has given you. Even when it's difficult, learn to love God and give thanks in and through all things. It's not easy, but it's possible with God. Jesus says, now remain in my love. 
know, how good are you? How faithful are you? How, here's a word, how sticky are you? How sticky are you? Have you got some stickability? Some faithfulness? Or do you flick from thing to thing? Flit from thing to thing? Or are you establishing some faithfulness in you? You see, love is faithful. It's full of faith. Love wants to commit to and go the extra mile because it's in love. If we're not in love, we don't want to love because it becomes a duty. But when we're in love with Jesus, we want to go because Jesus loved us. Therefore, we begin to develop faithfulness in our life. We begin to establish character in our lives that says, I'm dependable now. Jesus can build on me. But if we're moving from one thing to another because we're emotional and we're here, we're there, we're everywhere because we're not establishing what should be at the center of our lives, which is the love of God, the peace of God. And we're not from pillar to post and God saying, I don't want you to listen to every teaching so you're here, there and everywhere. I want you to be established in love. Paul writes to the Ephesians, find out who you are in Christ, chapter one. And he goes on to say, you need to be established in love. How do we do that? By loving by being faithful with what God has given us. You know those, I don't know if you've ever had one, but when I was a kid, I think you still have them. You know them things you throw against the glass and they stick. Does anybody remember them? They're like, either like octopuses or they're like little men and they stick, they go boom, like that, yeah? And then if they're too sticky, they just don't move. And you're waiting for a move and all of a sudden they go, And the arm goes and you're open, the next arm catches and then the legs come over the top and they start to go down the wind. You're like, look at that little man climbing down the window. Can you remember those? And you're like, then after a while you keep using them and using them and using them and using them and all of a sudden they stop sticking. And you're like, waste of time. Why did my mum buy me that or my dad bought me that? Or why did I buy it? (laughs) Yeah? Why? It's losing its stickiness. And we can all lose our stickiness. Because of life, let down, disappointed, didn't work out the way we wanted it. All this stuff can get in the way and we can lose our stickiness. Anybody still my friend? How sticky are you? Does God look at you and say, see this child of God? See how sticky they are. See how much they push through. They, they don't, they don't when, when, when the difficulties come, they put their roots in me. They go down. When the enemy comes, their roots go down. They keep digging into me, into my love, my unconditional love. My child comes to me, comes after me because they stick to me. I stick with them. Now they can stick through the trial and the tribulation because they stick to me. Well, how sticky are you to Jesus this morning? Because I'll tell you something, Jesus is sticky to you. When you're not sticky, Jesus is sticking to you. When we were far off from God, Jesus stuck to you. When we were sinners, he stuck to you. When you were an enemy to someone, Jesus stuck to you. Why? Because his stickiness is unconditional, not like ours. He sticks with you when we don't stick it through. His stickiness, I don't know if I can call Jesus sticky, but I have done. You see, The reason we can stick to Jesus is because Jesus first stuck to us when he stuck himself on the cross. When he was nailed to the cross. 
He didn't have to, but he chose to stick to the plan that the Father had. And that plan was to love you. He stuck with you before you even knew about him. Before the beginning of a time, he predestined you to be loved as a child of God made in his image. That was his plan to you. And he made that plan possible by coming to the cross and sticking himself. He got nailed. Not with no more nails. That wouldn't stick Jesus. It was nails that were sticking Jesus on that day. But here's the deal. He stuck on that cross so that you did not have to stick on that cross. And what did he stick on the cross? He stuck our sins on the cross. He got it. The sin of the world was stuck on the cross for me and you so that our sins can be removed and the righteousness of God could be received by us. We receive our inheritance because of Jesus Christ being nailed to the cross because he stuck with you. Why? Because he is faithful to his word and he promised it. He promised it in the Old Testament through the prophets. He said, I will come, I will deliver you, I will give you a new heart. All these promises that he says he's going to stick with and he stuck to it and he promises it you. Because he is the most faithful you will ever discover in the world. Faithfulness is the Lord. Great is his faithfulness. It endures forever. You are loved as a child of God forever. Why? Because Jesus made it possible to you. What is at the center of your life this morning? Because what's at the center of your life this morning will determine your future and how you bear fruit in this world. It's a challenge, amen? And sometimes I dip in and out. But Jesus has made it possible for you so that you can come and have access to the Father. Nailed your sin on the cross because he's stuck with you. How's your stickiness this morning? What are you rooted in this morning? You know, God doesn't look and correct us because he wants to correct us for his own ego. He corrects us because he loves us. And he wants the best for us. He wants to us to experience his love and his faithfulness that endures forever so that we can rest in the Father and bear much fruit in his love by loving others. How's your stickiness this morning? <laughs> I want to encourage you. Fall in love with Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus. Remain in his love and love others as he has loved you. And if we do that, we will bear fruit to bring glory to God. Amen? We will breathe new life. There will be a change in our lives because the gospel has first penetrated our hearts and liberated us. I'm going to invite the band up. Are you still with me this morning? I want us to focus on Jesus because Jesus is the one who's stuck with us. Amen? And I want us to praise Jesus this morning. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. You could have given Jesus your life. You could still be holding on to your sin and your guilt and your shame. Maybe it's this morning, your morning, to bring it to Jesus and let him take it from you and nail it to the cross. Maybe you're carrying guilt and shame that, you know, maybe you know Jesus and you've been committed to Jesus, but for some reason you keep going in this cycle of guilt and shame and not good enough. That's an orphan. You don't, don't stay there as an orphan. Come into being a child of God. Fully accepted. Made holy through what Jesus did, not by what we did. It's liberating. It's liberating. The presence of God, the presence of the Father liberates you. But sometimes we think we're not good enough because the stuff that's stuck on us and God's saying, I've paid for that stuff that's stuck on you. 
I paid for it with my life to show you how much I love you. I've stuck with you through all things and I will stick with you for eternity. You can trust in God's love. Not Paul's love, not Sarah's love. No, God's love. The unconditional love of the Father. Let your sin come to the cross this morning. There's only one who can remove your sin. Nobody has authority in this world to remove your sin, only one. All authority was given to him and he's the one who overcame all sin. I can't offer you forgiveness of sin this morning through me. I can only offer you through Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one who can forgive your sins this morning. His name is Jesus. And he's sticking with you. And I want to encourage you this morning. Don't live in guilt and shame or fear. But come to the Father. Bring your sin, your shame. Allow him to love you and liberate you in his love.